here in person or on the live stream, I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 86. We're looking this summer at the Psalms on the theme of worship. Today we consider what it means to worship the Lord when our hearts just aren't in it. Psalm 86. This is God's Word. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart. And I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seek my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your, give your, your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor, that those who hate me may see and be put to shame, because you, Lord, have helped and comforted me. Let's pray that God would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, hear our cry. We are a poor and needy people, and we need you to abound to us with your loving kindness. We need you to teach us your way. We need you to unite our fractured hearts. We might worship you. Grant us your comfort in Christ that we might hear and understand more who you are and of what you've called us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, let's get to it. How do you worship? When your heart just isn't in it. Maybe you feel that way this morning. If you've been in the Lord for any length of time, there will come seasons. You just don't feel up to giving Him glory and praise. There are times I've... I've had to to preach when my heart just wasn't in it. So I know 
There are times you found yourself here with heavy concerns, distracted hearts, just wondering when it's going to be over so you can go and hide again. How do you worship? Your heart just isn't in it. There is no shortage in this broken and sinful world of things that weigh on us, that burden our hearts, break our hearts, make it hard to worship. Relationships gone wrong. Illness. Unanswered prayers. Difficulty at work. Oppressive trials and tribulations. Addictions. Fears. The list goes on. These things weigh on us. They distract us. They break us. And it's hard when we carry those heavy burdens to enter into the presence of the Lord with thanksgiving and joy. How are we supposed to worship when our heart just isn't in it? We're going to try to answer that question this morning by asking three questions. What do you believe worship really is? What do you believe worship actually does? And what do you believe worship truly reveals? What do you believe worship is? What do you believe it does? What do you think it reveals? Hopefully, considering these things, we will see that we can indeed worship the Lord even when our hearts aren't in it. The psalmist comes to the Lord poor and needy. He is broken. He is distracted. There are insolent men chasing him down. It is a day of trouble that leaves him with nothing to do but to cry out in weariness for the Lord to hear him. And in doing so, He reveals that he believes something about what worship is we should understand as well. Often when we are weary, when we are brokenhearted, we turn to things that give us a quick and easy consolation. Maybe we numb ourselves to the pain with the pleasures of this world, Maybe we distract ourselves from the cares and concerns that are oppressing our hearts by putting our nose to the grindstone, working harder, longer hours, doing more, taking more vacations, working harder on the job. And even in our weariness, we somehow find the way to summon the strength and the energy to cling to something, to find relief somewhere. But all too often, the things we seek relief from are all the wrong things. They don't give us the relief. They bring more weariness. They bring more brokenness. They bring further addiction. They bring further trouble. When I was in high school, 
I had a hard time waking up in the morning to go to school. I know there's not a high schooler in the world today that can resonate with that. But my solution to that problem for a while was to put the loudest alarm clock money could buy on the other side of the room, which just meant that the whole house had to wake up when I woke up, but so be it. One morning, and I remember this distinctly, the alarm goes off, I throw the covers off, I jump out of bed, and I make it two steps before I collapse on the floor in a heap because both my legs were asleep. I mean, just so utterly and completely asleep, I couldn't even feel anything. I just collapse. Well, I try to drag myself to the alarm to turn it off, and I realize both my arms are asleep. I don't know what... I don't know if I was like trying to sleep while, you know, in some yoga pose or something. I don't know, but my whole body was asleep and I'm just flopping on the floor, yelling for somebody to come turn my alarm off. When we are truly, deeply brokenhearted, so broken and weary that we can't, cling to anything. We can't run to anything. There's nothing left for us to do but to cry out. And there's no one better for us to cry out to but the Lord. This is what the psalmist does. When his life is sucked away, when his strength is gone, when he has been running against these people that are oppressing him, when he is surrounded by trouble, when he has nothing left, all he can do is cry out. All he can do is plea. All he can do is yell for the Lord help. And that is all worship is. Sometimes we we get confused about what worship is. We think that it is this opportunity for us to show God how good we are, how many songs we've memorized. We, we read this, preserve my life for I am godly. And we think, well, I'm good, uh, for me to worship, I've really got to have my act together. And we totally misunderstand what this means. The psalmist here is crying out, not that he is great. He is God's. Not godly in his behavior, but godly in whose he is. You are my God. I am your person. Child of God, hear me. God does. And in this moment of trouble, he looks up and he sees all of these other things that he has turned his attention to. His soldiers or his servants, his wealth or his money or his power his position, his friends, all of these other things that he could have and often maybe did turn his attention to to try to to help him in the day of trouble, all of those things pale in comparison to the greatness of the Lord. He's the source of gladness. He is great and mighty. He is good and forgiving and abounding in steadfast love. He hears the prayers of the people who call out to him in faith. He overflows with grace and loving kindness. All his children. And sometimes when our hearts are so brokenhearted, what we need to realize that what worship is, is is coming to the Lord however we are. 
with our sadness, with our grief, with our weakness, with our failure, with our need, and crying out to Him because we've come to a place where we realize there's nothing we can do. We are flopping on the ground in weariness and brokenheartedness and in trouble. When we turn to Him, we find the help. We find the hope we need. Why would we turn to anything else but the Lord in the day of trouble? How is it that we talk ourselves into finding comfort, soothing our fears, salving our souls with such ridiculous things? When our very hearts are broken, we think one more One more glass of alcohol will fix this. We think one more look at this video will fix this. One more step into darkness will fix it. How do we find ourselves in these places where we think these worldly things can offer any comfort or consolation that compares to the comfort and consolation we have in the Lord? psalmist understood that at the core, all worship is. It's turning to the Lord, believing that he is who he says he is. And he's able to do what he says he can do. We don't come into worship to be great. We come into worship to turn our attention to the one who is greater than all. What do you believe worship is? What do you believe it does? Sometimes we want to come in to worship and leave with something. A better feeling, more knowledge, uh, more energy to go do all the right things. We want worship to be this thing that sort of zaps us with some awesomeness. There's a a goodness to that, that we come into worship expecting something. Worship does something. But when we treat it like like those food travel, I love those food travel shows where they travel the world and they're like, oh, here's the the best sushi or here's this great ramen place or here's... Tracy and I were watching this food show about this guy traveling through Thailand and I just was blown away. Couldn't wait to order Thai <laughs> that night. I couldn't, you know. But, but sometimes we treat worship like that. We see this, this show and it inspires us to go do something different or go experience something new. But it's not, it's, it's not so mundane as that. Worship, worship is like going to Thailand and experiencing the glory of the food and having nothing but awe left. It's not to, it's, it's, worship is, in other words, it's not something we receive. It's something we enter into. And it shapes us. It changes us. When we think of worship as this transaction, here I am, give me the things I need. We miss the point. The psalmist here, he says, 
Teach me, in verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. He's in, he's in this place where he is so distraught. He is so oppressed with trouble. He is so full of need that he, his heart is disintegrated. It's shattered. He doesn't even know what to do. He, there is no like quick video the worship leader can show. There's no hymn that, that he can sing that, that can help him turn around and go out and like do all the great things for God. He is absolutely undone. He recognizes that, that worship does do something powerful and amazing and incredible. Not something that, that, that we can manufacture like a rock concert where we just get energized. Worship forms us, shapes us in the power of the Holy Spirit as we turn to the Lord, to His Word, to His means of grace, and we look to who He is as we look to Him to teach us His ways to help us walk in his ways as we look to him to reintegrate, unite our hearts so that we can worship him rightly. Worship forms and shapes us more and more in his likeness, in his image. And if that seems like a ridiculous thing, it is. Think about it. How ridiculous is it to say, look, once a week, get together with some folks, read some things, say some things together, sing some things together, and it will transform you forever. Like, really? <laughs> I want to buy. I want to buy whatever it is you, you've been been eating or drinking. Like, what? It, what like, it's ridiculous because it's the power of God at work. He doesn't rely on human manufactured means to to gin up a response. He is shaping and forming us in our very hearts, in the core of who we are. And he is molding and shaping and healing us with his word, with prayer, with the sacraments, with songs of praise, with the fellowship of believers, with the benediction week in and week out, to reorient us and remind us of who He is and what He's done and how glorious and great He is. He is shaping us and forming us. That's not something I can do. It's not something you can do. It's something only He can do. And the psalmist knows this. And in his moment of great need, he turns to the Lord. Because he, David, didn't become a man after God's own heart by his own ingenuity. The more he turned to the Lord, the more he looked to him, even in his grief and sadness and brokenheartedness, the more the Lord shaped him, directed him, guided him, kept him, protected him, comforted him, formed him to be that man after God's own heart. How is God forming you? 
even in our expectations of what worship can and should do. Like when you came in here this morning, what were you hoping would happen? What were you thinking you'd accomplish? Did you expect to meet with God? Did you expect to see His glory? Did you expect to find yet again that as great as you thought He was, He's even greater? That is broken and as sad and as weak as you are, His strength is still sufficient. His mercy is still overflowing. He hasn't forgotten you? When we're growing up, one of the most important things that new parents can do for their children is is connect with them, to provide opportunities for them to um, develop a secure attachment, to to understand, oh, they, they hear my cry. They know that I'm in trouble, that I need something. To to know that that the parent loves them, cares for them no matter what. And so often, because we are sinful parents, we get distracted with our own things. Like, yeah, 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 no, I'll take you to the park tomorrow. Or, yeah, 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 no, I'll do the. We make these promises and we don't deliver. Or we get distracted with work. Or these things happen and we just, but God never fails. Incline your ear. The Lord does. You answer my prayer. You hear my cry. You comfort me in my need. The Lord is always ready to hear his people and respond to his glorious self. What worship does when we turn our attention to him in faith, it, it heals, shapes forms us because God's at work in it. And that reveals something. What do you think it reveals? See, sometimes we, 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 this is how we want it to work. We're, we're in the day of trouble and we come into worship and we cry out to the Lord and we want him to take the trouble away. And sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. But, but There's a part of us, if you're anything like me, at least, there's a part of me that just wants God to take all the trouble away. And he doesn't always do that. Or when he does, there always seems to be another trouble waiting in the wings. These insolent men, like David didn't just run into them randomly on the street. They're seeking him out. Trouble seeks God's people out. It wants to kill the godly. It wants to put them to shame. It wants them to drop and lose their faith. And, and there is not a, a believer in the world throughout history who is going to be immune from experiencing the day of trouble. So often, God doesn't take it away because he wants to reveal something else through our worship. What is that? Look at what the psalmist says. In verse 17, show me a sign of your favor. He's not asking just for the trouble to be taken away. No, show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. 
He is saying something remarkable. He wants the way the Lord is shaping and forming and caring for him in the midst of this day of trouble to shine forth as a sign and a witness to all who see him and especially those who despise the Lord. But David's God, he's a good God. He's a great God. He is a merciful God. He is a God who abounds in loving kindness and steadfast love. He is the greatest God, and there is no other God like him. And you know what? You know when people see that most starkly, most clearly, most powerfully? When you don't have anything to add. When you can't point to your comfort in worldly things. When you can't point to your prosperity. When you can't point to your ease of life. When you can't point to your success. When you have nothing left but to point to your God who brings you comfort. The world sees that. And it puts them to shame. A shame that could either... Cause them to revile you more, like Job's friends. Or, as God so often does, a shame that drives them to seek out the love and the grace and the mercy of that good God. Our worship bears witness. We believe our God is great. And you should believe it too. We're getting our driveway replaced. I knew when we bought the house it was going to be something that we were going to have to do. But nobody, like, who wants to pour that much money into concrete? Um, and I tried to put it off as long as I could. But it kept sinking, and the cracks kept getting bigger. And when I pulled up into the driveway and a big chunk of concrete got kicked out by the car tires, I was like, okay, we can't wait any longer. And so we, we're taking it out. And what we found is this has been a longstanding problem. The water is just washing out underneath. Just washing out. There is no foundation there. And if we hadn't have done something, it was a matter of time before the whole thing was just going to collapse. They tried to fix it. They stuck gravel under there. But they, but they never dealt with the actual source of the problem, which was the water spout pouring water under the driveway. So here the, the concrete guy comes out and says, oh, we can fix all of this. We'll lay a better foundation. And we'll take all of these things that have caused so much damage and we're going to send them another direction. And it's been amazing to watch the process and to think about how is the Lord doing that in me and in you? When we lay our foundation and our hope on idols, that can be washed away, it's only a matter of time before the whole thing collapses. When we turn to the Lord, He's able to tear all that stuff up. And it's painful and messy and muddy and, and not quick. They, didn't, they can't replace that thing in a day. There's a vision of something glorious that awaits. And he diverts the things that would cause harm. 
And he bounds us on nothing less than himself. We might find strength in him, hope in him, and comfort in him, and joy in him. So if you are here this morning finding it difficult to worship because your heart is broken and weary and heavy laden, the Lord announces, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. All you who are broken hearted and weak. I, I will be at work. I will shape you. I will mold you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I will give you rest. And the light of that work of grace shine forth. And give hope to the world. May the Lord shape us that we might be whole worshipers in Him. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, our weary hearts need the refreshment of worship. Protect us, Lord, from the lie, the dangerous lie. that worldly things can fix us and help us in our innermost hearts to cry out to you, to seek gladness from you, to seek comfort from you, strength and hope and joy, all from you. That we might overflow with worship to you or that we might offer up all of our grief and sadness and weariness to you, that we might find comfort that our God is the great God who abounds in steadfast love towards us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.